Welcome to SGTM Talks. We hope you find this encouraging and inspiring. It's great to be here with you this morning. We're continuing in our series that we're doing over uh, the month of October called The Four Pillars, incidentally arranged around the four pillars uh, within our church. Um, and this month is really about us as a church family coming together around four words, four concepts and saying this is what this church stands for. Uh, but the important thing about pillars is that whilst you can see the pillar up, it actually is built upon a foundation that goes much deeper. So actually as we come into this season and we talk about what these pillars are, what these fundamental things about our church are, we do this in the acknowledgement that there's a deep foundation that enables the pillars to stand. And that foundation is uh, the person and work of Jesus Christ. And it is the work of the Holy Spirit in this specific place. So last week, Jamie spoke about uh, the first of these W's called welcome, and this idea that actually, um, uh, to, to, uh, um, sorry, uh, welcome is this term which we want to use here at St. George's to say that everybody is invited into this space in a radical way, and we celebrate difference, we celebrate diversity, and we want to be a church that doesn't just welcome as you come into the door, but we want to be a church that takes that welcome out to those in our parish and those who we meet in our everyday. And next week, Peter will be speaking on this uh, W called worship, which includes our, both our sung worship and also our Eucharistic worship when we take communion. But more so than that, that actually the worship isn't just confined to this building, but it overflows into what we do with our hands through our harvest offering and through all that we think and say when we leave this place. And finally, Jamie will be landing this series with the W of, wis uh, of witness, this idea that actually our lives and our church is to reflect the, the wit and witness to what Jesus has done in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. So that actually as we go out, we can, we can boldly proclaim this truth and this hope that we have in a way that is relevant to this place. But today we come to the second of the four pillars, subjects tied toward wisdom. And before I, I give us our reading, I'd love us if I could just pray for us as we begin to so let us pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for this time and this moment that we can share with one another. We ask that the thoughts of our hearts and the words that I say and the meditations of our hearts will be ever aligned with your wisdom and your power. In your name we pray, amen. So uh, the words will come on the screen. If you have a Bible, you might wanna turn uh, to Colossians 3. This is kind of the, the verses that we're pinning this whole series around. And in Colossians 3, this amazing book and this letter uh, that is attributed to Paul, Paul says this specifically in verse 15. He says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I don't know if you've ever heard the expression, play to the whistle. Play to the whistle. Um, for the majority of us in our lives, uh, this small expression, play to the whistle, means absolutely nothing. Um, it might have gone straight over your head. But in the world of sport, this expression, play to the whistle, 
is in many ways one of the most important lessons that you could teach a young person who's playing sport and professionals who are professionally engaged with sport. This idea of play to the whistle. The whistle is arguably the most powerful tool on the pitch. It's the thing that signifies authority, order, discipline, the boundaries of the game itself. And as a child growing up, I played a lot of sport, and I mean a lot of sport. Every night I was out playing sport. My parents referred to themselves as a taxi as they drove me from sports pitch to gym to sports arenas, you name it. I was playing a lot of sport. And the way I like to play sport, um, I might look quite soft when I'm up here, but when I like to play sport, I tend to uh, become a lot more aggressive in how I play. I like to get right in people's faces, and I like to play to the boundaries of what's allowed in a game. And this, uh, for some, that could be quite controversial. For me, that's just called playing, playing to win, playing hard, playing fair. Now, in uh, rugby, one of the games which I used to play growing up, um, this idea to play to the whistle is quite a key element of the game. Because in rugby, for those who don't know, the referee holds the most authority on that pitch. It may look like a bunch of 30 men, grown men or grown women, playing like thugs, hitting each other really hard. But actually, the respect that they give to the referee can't be competed against other sports. When the referee blows their whistle, the game stops. What the referee says after is, is followed. If you chat back to the referee, you get a penalty. If the, ref, if the referee blows his whistle, you stop and you listen and you effectively follow the command of the referee. Now, when I was at, um, in school, um, little caveat, I went to a, uh, a state school um, and for some reason, which is, not, which is quite unlikely in Liverpool of all places, uh, we became very good at rugby. I don't know why, I think we just really liked the idea of being really like, controlled, aggressive towards other people, but we, we were quite good at rugby and we started playing in, in competitions which involved many, many private schools would enter these competitions and we were one of the few state schools that would join and like, lo and behold, we actually did quite well. We tended to get quite far in competitions, we tended to play private schools and we used to love the idea that we turned up into this magnificent grounds and they're there with their crisp, crisp green pitches and we used to dominate. We used to really dominate and actually I, I used to play in the position called fly half, the kicker, and we used to love these occasions. And I remember uh, one, one time when we got quite far in this tournament, I, I knew it was a big deal because we started bringing players from the year below up into our, our, in our team because they were really good at rugby and we actually like drafted in some extra players because we, were knew, we knew we were going up against this really, really successful team in Lancashire. Now, um, just a bit, of, a bit of understanding about what happens in rugby, if you've ever seen it. There's this weird, this dance that happens that you just start kicking the ball back and forth to one another. And when you kick the ball really high, you see the guy who's kicked it sprinting as fast as he can. And everyone else stands there and waits till this man runs past and then they start running after. It's basically the offside rule in rugby. What this means in practice is that if you're the last man and you catch the ball and you kick it down the pitch, what you have to do is run past every single one of your teammates before they can continue to play the game. And if they join the game and touch the person who now has the ball, it's a penalty. So you can see the incentive, you kick it and you just start running. So set the scene, it's 24-17 and it's got about five minutes left in this quite competitive game. It had gone back and forth, there was a lot of heated moments and I found myself standing at the back and I kicked the ball down the field and I start running as all people should. And all I had in my head is just keep, you just have to play to the whistle. So I'm running and for some reason, no one else is. 
like no one, not even my, their team, no one's running. So I just continue to run thinking, well, something, might, and then all of a sudden it dawned on me that for some reason people had just forgotten the rules of rugby. And all of a sudden I find myself running ahead of everyone, chasing the ball as, as, as 15, like, teenage boys started sprinting after me realizing the game was still live and I had a chance to effectively win the game I pick up this ball and I'm getting closer to scoring and I see on the corner of my eye this giant of a boy sprinting sideways towards where I am and I'm getting close to this line as I get close to score a try all he did and I kid you not with his arm outstretched, completely took out my neck and clotheslined me and I flipped up and I was down on the floor we were awarded a penalty try uh, I couldn't take the kick because I was kind of concussed. The, the guy missed the kick and we lost by two. I'm not bitter. Um, I'm not bitter at all. Um, but what didn't happen, I was playing to the whistle and the whistle wasn't sounded. And often when I think about in our journey of faith, the Bible becomes the whistle. It becomes the thing that we abide by. It becomes the thing that sets the boundaries. It becomes the things that holds the most authority. And I wonder if it's safe to say that so often in life, whilst we could have that really high view of Scripture, sometimes it feels like Scripture comes like that clothesline and completely takes you out, that you thought you were playing to the whistle, but life comes in and turns everything upside down. You thought you were following the truths that you'd been passed down, and something happens in life, and it feels like, why did this happen to me? See, this is kind of what we want to talk about when we discuss this W called wisdom. Wisdom is much more than scripture. But actually in this place, we believe that wisdom is found in scripture. And this morning, I'd like to talk about three, three ideas. When we talk about scripture has a sense of authority, like the whistle has a, is a tool of authority. As we say this term, scripture has authority. I'd like to suggest three thoughts that emerge when we recognize this, that wisdom emerges as we recognize the authority over Scripture, the authority within Scripture, and finally, the authority under Scripture. So firstly, the authority over Scripture. You may have heard uh, before, you may not have heard before, that uh, a thing some Christians like to talk about is often the authority of the Bible. And it's a phrase which um, has actually became like closely connected to what we refer to as Protestant belief in the church and the Protestant. And actually we see in the first preaching manual called The Art of Prophesying by William Perkins in 1592, it said this, that the word of God alone is to be preached in its perfection and inner consistency. And this may appear obvious today that this would be something that uh, William Perkins felt he had to employ Christian preachers to do. But in William Perkins's own cultural moment, he saw that often the power and authority that scripture had in itself had been lost. And in many ways, verbal pyrotechnics, thick with ornate language, classical allusions and quotations, poetic images had replaced the authority of the Bible. In other words, the Bible had lost its authority and the church and the preachers were there to somehow speak alongside of it, trying to convey a different message. And in many ways, the, the history of the Protestant church is one that's often been closely tied to this text. To say that this text is central to what we do, we read this text, it's central to how we practice our faith, and yet so often in life, it seems to be put to the side of the road 
because it's deemed to be irrelevant. It's deemed to have not much wisdom for the day and age. And this isn't just a thing that we see in 2022. It's been happening all across the, the, the history of Christian tradition. And into the fray of all of this story comes the 19th century Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon, um, who famously said, and I quote this, there seems to me to have been twice as much done in some ages in defending the Bible as in expanding it. But if the whole of our strength shall henceforth go to the exposition and spreading of it, we may leave it pretty much to defend itself. I do not know whether you see that lion. It is very distinctly before my eyes. A number of persons advanced to attack him while a host of us would defend him. Pardon me if I offer a quiet suggestion. Open the door and let the lion out. He will take care of himself. Why, they are gone. He no sooner goes forth in his strength than his assailants flee. The answer to every objection against the Bible is the Bible. Let the lion out. What on earth does that mean when we're talking about a, co a collection of 66 books and, some, and, and a nice leather-bound book that I can hold up here? See, I take note of what Paul says in, in, in his letter to the, into the church in Corinth when he said that my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So if wisdom is not what I say from the front or what Jamie or Peter or anyone says from the front, what is it? And going, for, going further, what is the authority of the Bible? How can we hold that to be true if wisdom isn't just the words that we say? In our reading today, Paul invokes his readers to let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. But the message of who? Friends, let me remind you that the whistle on our lives is never just this text, whatever translation or commentary you use to interpret it. See, the whistle isn't a what it's a who see in in, in in the history of christian tradition sometimes we've lost that that truth and i want to let you in a little secret this morning it's a thing that bishops know it's a thing that clergy and pastors know it's a thing that uh, most churches actually know and actually it's a thing that i think we we think here but i actually don't even know if i'm allowed to say it from the front um in, in some languages, it, it comes in, across in, in the grand words that they say. In the Greek, it says, and you're like, what on earth does that mean? And I don't even know if Jamie's going to permit me to say what this is, but actually, the who is um, Jesus. Jesus. See, the who is not a collection of words and a collection of canon of scripture that we hold on to. The who is Jesus Christ. The lion is not the book, it's the person and work of Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. This Greek word logos in, John, in the prologue of John's gospel, when it says the logos became flesh, this word logos is much grander than just words like we see in our language. It's reason, it's wisdom, it's fullness, it's life, it's everything. And all of this fullness dwelt and became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. See, the authority over Scripture is the person of Jesus Christ in communion with the Father and in communion with the Spirit. See, when we say the authority of the Bible, we need to understand that the authority of the Bible is embedded in who this authority belongs to, and it is 
the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But alongside this authority over the Bible, over Scripture, we have this authority within it. See, the referee doesn't um, stand alongside the game and blow their whistle. No, the referee is often involved within the game, running around, trying to make decisions in the moment, and will pull out the referee even when they need it and blow the whistle. So wisdom throughout Scripture is not something that stands above it like an abstract idea, but something embedded within story after story after story after story. See, this is what it means when the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. See, in, in Christian tradition, if you go to cathedrals, what you'll see is when the gospel is about to be read, it will be held, alo- held aloft and it will be walked into the middle of the congregation, enacting the word, the fullness of who Jesus is, became flesh and dwelt and tabernacled, built his dwelling place among the people so that the people could have access to this hidden truth. See, the message of Christ isn't characterized in apologetic statement it isn't characterized in intellectual ideas it is embodied in the person of jesus christ and he is at the center of what we think and what we believe at this place and you could be sitting there thinking well that's a nice idea jesus be the center of it all jesus is the center of course you're a clergyman you would say jesus is the center but how does that actually make a difference and how do we even come to know that to be true is it just an idea that we accept well no because the The reality being that those who confess that Jesus is Lord can only do so by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, we are a church that believes that this idea of wisdom is much bigger than just an individual, but it's a communion of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and it's the Spirit that enables us to have full awareness and understanding and belief about who Jesus is. See, the heart of this church isn't that certain individuals would set the example from the front and everyone will follow. It isn't like certain individuals like me will try to set a new fashion trend of wearing pink socks with green shirts or whatever. But actually, the idea of this church is that the wisdom is distributed among us and it's revealed through the person of the Holy Spirit. See, this church genuinely rejects the nihilistic mantra that God is dead and we've killed him. And it also rejects this other idea that for some reason, and I, put, I often say it like that, the Holy Spirit is dead. He was alive back then and now he isn't and this idea that actually what we see in the scripture when the holy spirit was working amongst the early church we have that belief that that was for then and not for now see paul spoke it wasn't through my words that you were persuaded it was the power of the spirit and at this church we genuinely believe that there is a power in the holy spirit the holy spirit is at work among this church and in this parish and actually across this whole land and across this whole world We just need the eyes and the ears to see it. See, I could simply sit down there and say, amen, and actually two things would happen. One, I would have said a very sound theological argument, standing from the front, that there's authority over Scripture, who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's authority within Scripture as the Spirit reveals himself to all people. But the second thing that would happen if I said amen and sat down is that we're left here going, and what? Like, what does that actually do on a Tuesday morning or a Thursday night? It's a great idea. If anything, wisdom becomes this, again, abstract thing that we put on a pillar and we say, that is wisdom. And it's like, oh, yeah, great, yeah. Anyway, let's talk about something else more important. But see, that's where we come to the third idea that there is not just authority over Scripture or within it, but there's also authority under Scripture. See, all across human history, there's only, there's been only but a few books 
that have been the single inspiration for some of the greatest triumphs of the human condition and also the greatest demonstration of human evil. See, this book can be used in the emancipation of slavery and the liberation of, of people, the oppressed people, but it can also be used to justify the Holocaust, to justify the apartheid. It can be used at one end from clergy uh, defending the faith and, and, and justifying the position of clergy, but it can also be used by the same clergy to justify their inexcusable behavior towards others. Time and time again, does this, this gift become a dagger but you hear things oh the, the word of the word of god is a sword it's a sword that we're meant to take out and often we tend to take that and some people tend to take that that we should use it to attack people it's the thing that we have in our arsenal when someone steps out of line we get them we get them with the scripture we get them with the verse i know the verse i can quote the verse can you quote the verse i've quoted the verse and what tends to happen in christian circles if someone hits you with a, a, ver a verse of scripture and what do they do they come straight back at you with a different verse of scripture and then, and then you go back with another verse of scripture and then they come back with another verse of scripture and you're left like, what, 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 are we using the same weapon against each other? What, what is going on here? See, at St. George the Martyr, we do believe that the, the Bible has authority, but we genuinely believe that it's a gift, not a weapon. And it's actually a gift that doesn't just sit with the clergy. It doesn't just sit with the warden of the PCC, it sits with all of us, those inside this room and those outside the room as well. See, wisdom is dispersed in multiplicity and in diversity, and we celebrate that at this church. We celebrate the idea that someone outside the church, someone within this church, might actually have a better sense of what God is doing and what God is saying and what God has done than I have. And no, no, initials after the name no phd in theology no position that you hold will ever give you more accredited credibility over other people when it comes to the authority over of, of scripture so what's the way forward for this church and i'd love to encourage us actually ways that this could look like this week perhaps this week you could pick up the phone and talk to someone just ask them you know, what, what's god saying to you at the moment what, do, what have you been reading that that can that can encourage me because I want to expand my horizons of what it means to be wise and to have greater understanding of what God's doing. Perhaps you can find a book on a shelf. You can speak to someone here and, and go and buy that book and read that book because there's not just wisdom among the living, but there's wisdom as along those who came before us as well. For those who know me, I'm, I'm semi-obsessed with the Swiss theologian called Karl Barth to the extent that my son has his middle name, Barth. Um, and he's the subject of my PhD. And I often go to that tech, those texts from Karl Barth, not just because I want to become a, a nerd who knows more about Barth, but actually because through his writing, I become closer to Jesus. He points me to the center and actually expands my horizon of whatever this pursuit of wisdom is. And I know for a certainty that there's people in this room that may have read other books. And if you go up to them and say, which book would you recommend? They could say something you've probably never heard of it, but I encourage you, go and read it. At my ordination, my granddad, a great man of faith, he asked me, what can I get you? And I said, what you can get me is a book that's that you, you has been important for you. Not, not that you think would be good for me, but what, a book that's held your faith up all these years. And he bought me that book and I've, I've got it on my shelf and I'm reading it at the moment. It's called Intercessor. Um, I, can, I completely forget the author. It, it, could, it could be. It could be Reese Howes. 
Um, I, well, honestly, I, I'm absolutely loving it. And I'm loving it not just because I'm growing in wisdom when I'm reading it, but also because I'm like, my granddad, he read this. And this, this, this was special to him as well. And actually, when I go to my brother and say, what are you reading at the moment? And he loves reading scripture. And he goes, oh, I'm spending time in Malachi. And I'm like, I don't think I've ever read Malachi properly. And he's like, oh, you should read Malachi because of that. And I'm encouraged by his reading that I want to go and read Malachi. That's what this community is for, that we can share inspiration. We're reading this. Why don't you read this? And that happens in small groups. That happens over coffee. That happens when you're meeting up for coffee. That happens in a daily exercise that there will be people here that love to read but are stuck knowing what shall I read next or ask someone or perhaps wisdom and the pursuit of wisdom just looks like doing what one of my favorite things to do at the moment is to go to the little park on this street here with my son and just watch him play and I just sit there and just watch what he's doing and watch his mind and thinking what on earth is he thinking about when he goes down the slide backwards and he's screaming his top of his lungs and then he and he stops and s- stares at another child and, s- and looking at them strange and thinking what what is going on in his head but it it broadens my horizons that for, for me I have this simple understanding of what you do when someone comes in to a room or someone comes into your present that like you might walk over and say hello but he tends to have this attitude at the moment that if anyone even gets into the sand pit he starts shouting at them which we're trying to work on as parents, but I'm just amazed at what is, we haven't taught you to do that. And I'm, and I'm, I'm widening my horizons of what it means to be wise because I'm observing people in the everyday, in the mundane. And I'm, I'm noticing the gift that the Holy Spirit is at work in everything that we do and around us. We just need to start saying, I, I wanna see it. Show me, show me the wisdom that is on offer today. And you could be sitting there thinking, well, Jack, I'll do all three. I'll speak to my friend. I'll read my book and I'll do that thing. I'll go observe. No, can I encourage you? Just pick one. This, just, this week, just pick one. Just, and, and I'll come back next week and just talk about what was the one thing that you'd noticed this week. What was that idea that you never even considered that completely seems to kind of come in in like a light bulb moment? And this all of a sudden makes sense because I didn't realize that, that Harry has this understanding of what it means to love people and it completely changed my whole perception of what it means to love people wow or oh i didn't understand that numbers could be that exciting but i spoke to sean and all of a sudden he's excited me about math and the gift of finance and all of a sudden i'm like blown away or i spoke to jamie and jamie or i, I just watched jamie work and i watched how he walked around and talked to people and i thought oh i want to do that i want to have that sort of presence when you people walk up to you that people feel at ease I want to speak to my, or I want to watch what my, listen to what my brother's reading. I want to pick up that book. Just pick one thing. As, as a church, as we gather around this pillar called wisdom, that actually wisdom is not something, this abstract idea out there, but it's something that dwells among us. See, the word became flesh and dwelled among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Friends, that's the authority of scripture the authority over scripture, the authority within scripture, and the, one, the authority under scripture. We don't need to defend the lion. The lion defends himself. See, wisdom in this house is distilled in our community as we acknowledge the centrality of the word of God, who's witnessed through the stories of scripture in order to establish this church that celebrates the diversity of our experiences, a church which finds its source in the living work, word through the activity of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to SGTM Talks. SGTM stands for St. George the Martyr, the church in central London with London on its heart. 
Go to sgtm.org for more information, including the exciting news of our 300th anniversary. Celebrated this St. George's Day weekend, the 22nd and the 23rd of April.